Hello, my name is Rick Pearson. Welcome to Prophecy USA, a program specifically designed to unveil the hidden mystery of America's role in Bible prophecy. You know, in past lessons, we've spoken about a mysterious hour of judgment and deliverance that will simultaneously come upon this nation called Babylon the Great. But what is the tipping point or the ultimate provocation within our North American society that will guarantee that prophesied event? We'll find that out today, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You know, in the book of Revelation, Jesus discussed the seven types of believers or seven churches and the particular sins within each church group that they would have to overcome in the last days. Now, because Babylon the Great is the last kingdom to appear before the new world order begins, and because scripture tells us that God's people are in Babylon, we can easily surmise that the sins believers have to overcome are abundantly practiced in Babylon. We also know that out of the 42 descriptions so far found in Scripture concerning Babylon the Great, the United States of America is the only country in the history of the world who has met those descriptions. Last week we discovered the 41st and 42nd description within Babylon's culture was the appearance of a rainbow flag, and we also determined that the secular humanist progressive agenda have not progressed our society forward, but instead regressed us back to the examples of Sodom and the days of Noah. In our generation, those who deny the validity of Scripture are literally fulfilling the very Scriptures that they themselves deny. It's abundantly clear in Scripture that God loves everyone. However, history has proven that not everyone loves God, nor wants His presence, nor desires to have His commandments ruling over their lives. But what is it within the free will of man that releases God's judgment on some nations and not on others? There is a common thread in Scripture that throughout the ages will answer that question. And to find that thread, we must go back into ancient history and study those who knew God and His ways better than any other people on earth. That nation is Israel. Listen to this. God provided his covenant with Abraham so that his descendants would act as ambassadors for God's kingdom to establish God's will on earth. This did not make the Jewish people superior to other nations. Instead, it made them the most responsible people on earth. They would have to worship God in very specific ways. They would live a lifestyle totally different than other nations. It would be a lifestyle dedicated to honor the Most High God and showcase His love to humanity. Following God's covenant meant that they would have to establish godly morals, godly ethics, and their lives would not be their own. The first four of the Ten Commandments deal with how the Jews were to embrace their relationship with God. However, the last six commandments deal specifically for how the Jews were to embrace each other. In other words, 60% of the Ten Commandments given were social morales of conduct for the Jewish society as a whole. Historically, the Jewish people fell away from their covenant with God, ending in dire consequences. God would literally raise up pagan nations that He would use to judge or purge His chosen people. However, after a certain amount of time, once repentance was established, God always delivered them from their oppressors and brought them back into covenant with Himself. 
without any regards for God's commandments, Joseph's 11 brothers sold Joseph into slavery. It was years later that their descendants found themselves also in the bonds of slavery. However, once their time of judgment was over, Moses was raised up to bring them their deliverance. During that deliverance, God did to Egypt exactly what Egypt had done to the Jews. Throughout the years of captivity, the Pharaoh's policy of birth control was to drown the Hebrew male children in the Nile River as a form of sacrifice to Egypt's God of the Nile. The tenth plague that God placed on the Egyptians was the death of their firstborn. And then, after chasing the children of Israel across the Red Sea, God drowned the whole Egyptian army in the Red Sea. Pharaoh learned at the end of his reign, what you do to a Jew, God will do to you. In 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, decided to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the burning fiery furnace. The Babylonian guards died from the very heat of the flames that were initially meant for the young Jewish boys. These three faithful Jews were unwilling to break the first commandment and bow to Nebuchadnezzar's image. The Babylonians had no idea they were touching the apple of God's eye. In 500 BC, the Persian bureaucrat Haman had a fit of demonic rage for Mordecai's refusal to bow to him. Haman then built gallows to hang this Jewish worshiper. However, Queen Esther brought the word to the king, resulting in Haman with his whole family to be hung on the very gallows they built to exterminate the Jews. In 1944 AD, during World War II, the demonized maniac Adolf Hitler decided to eradicate God's chosen people. He gassed them, shot them, and burned them in the death camps of Europe. When the war was finally over, Hitler voluntarily bit down on a cyanide gas capsule, shot himself in the head, and had one of his loyal Nazi henchmen burn his body to try to destroy the evidence. The same demonic spirits of anti-Semitism eventually did to Hitler exactly what they told him to do to the Jews. Welcome back. Wow, it's amazing that mankind never seems to learn the spiritual principles that what you do to a Jew, God will do to you. And think, it's only been 75 years since the insanity of Nazi Germany and the extreme anti-Semitism that was showcased in World War II. Yet today, that spirit of hate and rage is still showcased all over the world by rockets being launched towards Israel monthly, by protesters carrying BDS signs on the streets and campuses, and even by nations united in one voice stating that Israel's an apartheid nation. You know, the world population of Jews by birth is approximately 14 million. However, there are a new breed of Jews that have entered the world through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, not by physical birth and circumcision of the flesh, but through spiritual circumcision of the heart, the rebirthing of their spirits, and a renewing of their minds. The ambassadors of God's spiritual kingdom no longer have to be physically birthed into this, into this spiritual protocol. They can be enlisted by simply acknowledging the truth of who Jesus Christ is and why He came. However, this also brings with it a whole new interpretation of who is the apples of God's eyes today. Now, it's still the Jewish people, but it's also those who have become Jews through accepting the kingship of the most famous Jew who ever lived, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But what has this to do with North America and specifically the United States of America? How are these spiritual principles affecting us today within our society? 
Although the inauguration of becoming a Jew has changed, the covenant of God watching over his people has not. Those who have decided that they want one nation under God within their personal lives and government structures are becoming a minority in our nation. There's an open hostility, it seems, against those who want the traditional values laid out by the founding fathers and those who think it's time to walk away from those values and create a whole new world, a world specifically without God nor His commandments. And the spiritual laws of judge not lest ye be judged seemingly are of no concern to the new progressive groupthink who preach inclusiveness but only so long as it agrees with their worldview. Biblical lessons from the past are deemed by this group as mere fairy tales. They believe government should be God and of course they will create that government based on their values which opposes traditional scriptural and moral protocol of the Judeo-Christian value system. To those who study Bible prophecy, this comes as no surprise. God said it would happen, and through the free will of mankind, God watches over His Word to perform it. Just as it was in the days of Sodom and in the days of Noah, today our news media broadcasts the signs Jesus told us to look for pointing to his imminent return. History records that when the government of Pharaoh of Egypt, the king, of Nebuch the king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, or Haman of Persia, or Adolf Hitler legislated their government regulations to judge God's people for following biblical protocol, it provoked God's judgment. Matthew 7, 1 says, remember, judge not lest ye be judged, for with what measure you judge others, the same measure shall be measured unto you. And history has shown us what you do to a Jew, God will do to you. If you bring them into slavery, God will bring you into slavery. If you try to hang them, God may hang you. If you try to exterminate them, God will exterminate you. Perhaps this is why scripture warns us to touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. For if God be for you, who can be against you? However, we've learned in previous lessons that Jesus warned the last day seven churches to follow the word and not the herd. He warned us many believers will fall away from the Bible standards like 50% of the virgins who miss the bridegroom in Matthew 25. Many will miss the open door of deliverance from the hour of tribulation that is coming upon the whole world. Can the sins of falling away from God break the hedge of protection believers have enjoyed over the years in North America? Can God raise up enemies to test our values? Will he let those who hate the Bible, hate prayer in public school, and every form of Judeo-Christian value actually judge and purge the church? The answer to that question is written in the Bible prophecy. And to unveil those mysteries, stay tuned, because you do not want to miss what Scripture says as we unveil the hidden mystery of America's role in Bible prophecy. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. Two thousand years ago, 
innocent blood was shed for you. But will America come back? Will she seek God's forgiveness or will she suffer his judgment? Prophecy USA proudly presents a study guide addressing America's spiritual state of the union concerning her past, present, and future role in Bible prophecy. Call right now with your donation of $20 or more to receive your copy, 1-888-306-1759, or go online to prophecyusa.org right now. Welcome back. We just learned that throughout history, government rulers from Egypt, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and even Germany Learn the hard way that what you do to a Jew, God will do to you. We also learn there are approximately 14 million Jews on the earth born through the bloodline of their parents. However, there are literally hundreds of millions of Jews also on the earth born again through the blood of Jesus Christ. And according to Paul, being a Jew is not by circumcision of the flesh, but circumcision of the heart through personally acknowledging and following the teachings of Jesus Christ. You know, the United Nations currently have a global agenda for a one-world government by the year 2030. But what does this have to do with North America and current political operatives who want to join that agenda? According to David Horowitz in his book, Dark Agenda, progressives in North America want to eradicate the whole concept of one nation under God. In other words, there's a growing culture war against Christianity, the Bible, prayer in public places, and many of the global elite who've been elected because of progressive groupthink ideology want a world without borders, both physically and morally. The only way progressives can achieve that goal is through legislative changes in our laws. Now, we learned in the studies of covenant nations that when laws embrace God's laws, it will invoke God's blessings. However, laws that oppose God's laws will provoke His judgment. And history blatantly showcases that laws that restrict, prevent, or even punish God's people from personally following God's laws eventually reap dramatic consequences from the hand of God towards that nation. Our research team at Prophecy USA believe that the 42 descriptions of Babylon the Great that we've unveiled thus far undoubtedly point to the United States of America. However, today we're going to add one more description to confirm that observation. The two greatest political and social and moral controversies today within our culture is gay marriage and abortion. Although those laws have changed and become legal, they still remain controversial. And last week we discussed the warning signs that Jesus referred to Sodom and Gomorrah and the days of Noah. These would be the signs preceding his imminent return. However, we also learned in previous lessons that the day he returns as a thief in the night to catch away his bride would also be a day of severe judgment that initiates the seven-year reign of a new world order. But what could be the tipping point within a society that could provoke judgment? Although modern verbiage and political correctness have coined the name abortion, the biblical terminology refers to it throughout the generations as the shedding of innocent blood. Baal worship involved the sacrifice of children to the god Moloch 
in which children were laid in the hands of a huge statue whose belly was a burning cauldron of fire. The children were literally burned to death in the hopes that Moloch would reward the parents with a lifestyle of prosperity. Genesis 9.6 says, Whosoever sheds innocent blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. Revelation 17.4 describes the woman of Babylon having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. But what is the filth of that fornication? Verse 6 says, And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs. Now that blood, the word in the Greek is the word hema. It's the same word used in Mark referencing the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment and was healed from an issue of blood. In other words, this blood is in reference and includes blood from the womb. Now the word saints in Greek is a person who belongs to God or one called to be God's people. When Jeremiah was called in 600 B.C., the Lord said, Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the womb, I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. How many apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors have been murdered from within the womb by the 60 million abortions performed in a nation who currently says, in God we trust? God's historical response to the shedding of innocent blood is shown in Genesis 4.10. When Cain killed Abel, he said, Thy brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Numbers 35.32 says, You shall not pollute the land wherein you dwell, for blood defileth the land, and the land cannot be cleansed but by the blood of him that shed it. Verse 33 says, Defile not the land which you shall inhabit, wherein I dwell, for I the Lord dwell among the children of Israel. In Leviticus it says, You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch, and so profane the name of your God, for I am the Lord. You know, the number of innocent children slain in the abortion clinics of the U.S. and Canada are well over 60 million souls. And that does not include the ones who have not been recorded. So this brings our description of Babylon, the great, up to 50 descriptive points. Jesus warned the church of Thyatira who followed after Jezebel. He said, Jezebel, I will kill your children. The 43rd description of Babylon is she has temples of Moloch sacrificing her children to Baal. The 44th description, she sacrifices children to Baal, selling body parts for financial gain. 45, she shows no mercy to God's people. For upon the ancient one you have heavily laid thy yoke, O Babylon. In 46, the land is defiled. If you shed his blood, he'll shed yours. Descriptum 47, she has written warnings in Scripture not to participate in this sin. 48th description, she has verbal warnings from prophets not to participate in these plagues. The 49th description, 
She has prophets and believers within her to raise up a shout. And the 50th description is Babylon persecutes those who raise up a shout and prophets and saints are slain in Babylon. You know, Babylon has promised swift judgment when her final day in Bible prophecy comes to its appointed time. But is there any hope? God has a plan that He's designed even before these prophecies were ever written. So stay tuned. You don't want to miss this last segment. Prophecy USA is proud to present their latest study guide providing over 50 biblical references describing the past, the present, and the future of this great nation. Joining the dots that unveil the hidden mystery of America's role in Bible prophecy. To order your copy of the Prophecy USA study guide, call 1-888-306-1759 or go to prophecyusa.org. Call today. Welcome back. We've been discussing the national sin of shedding innocent blood and how throughout history it has never failed to provoke God's judgment. The Bible says that God knows every detail about everyone, even to the point that He knows the number of hairs on your head. In Jeremiah's case, God says, I knew you before I formed you in the womb and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. And we at Prophecy USA want you to know that when God releases a prophetic warning to a nation, it's never sent to put you down. It only comes to set you free. He has no delight in the death of the sinner, but that the sinner turn from his ways and live. God knows the name of every child that has been aborted in this nation. He knows the name of every desperate mother who made that decision and the name of every father who abandoned that desperate mother. He knows the name of every doctor and nurse who performed that procedure and the name of every person who sold those body parts for financial gain. He knows the name of every politician who voted that procedure into legislation and the name of every voter who empowered those politicians. Through that legislation, the nation has opened the floodgates of the shedding of innocent blood. It has defiled the land and according to Scripture, most assuredly, this land will be judged. But if your name has been associated in the process of this travesty, even if you have personally shed innocent blood of your own child, I have good news for you. You can't change the past, but you can drastically alter your future. You know, 2,000 years ago, innocent blood was shed for you. And there's a name that's above every name given among men. A name that can forgive you of any sin known to man. A name who has power to wash your past as white as snow and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You know, several months ago, I had a telephone call from a cousin of mine who was 59 years old. Johnny and I grew up together and as cousins, but we decided early in life to go separate directions in our life. At 18 years old, I decided to go to Oral Roberts University to study the Bible and to hear God's voice. Johnny, on the other hand, chose a lifestyle of partying, drinking, smoking dope, and riding his motorcycle. Now, Johnny had just come back from the hospital with the report that his body was full of cancer and he had only six months to live. 
and he said he wanted to ask me things about the Bible. So the next day I visited my cousin, and he angrily began our conversation by asking, why is God doing this to me, Rick? I'm not even 60 years old, I haven't even retired, and now he gives me cancer and I'm going to die. You know, I knew at this point there was no fooling around with my cousin Johnny with that type of attitude. So I thought I might as well go for the juggler and let him have it plain and clear. I said, you know, Johnny, let me get this straight. For the last 45 years, you chose to party like an animal. You smoked like a chimney, drank until you dropped, you filled your body with every toxic known to mankind, and now at the end of your life, it's all God's fault that you have cancer? Johnny looked at me with utter surprise, and then he burst into laughter, and he said, you know, Rick, you're right. I guess I just wish I had longer to live. But I'm going to heaven, right, Rick? I mean, I've been a good father to my son, and I supported my wife and family with a stable job. And I said, Johnny, have you ever lied? Have you ever cursed God's name? Have you ever committed sexual immorality? Johnny laughed and said, of course I have, but so is everybody else. I said, well, you know, Johnny, in God's eyes, you're a lying, blaspheming fornicator. And according to 1 Corinthians 6, 9, you're not going to be allowed into the kingdom of heaven. Now, Johnny's jaw dropped, and fear came over his face, and he knew I wouldn't lie to him. But I let that sink in for several seconds, and then I said, but you know, Johnny, there is a way you can get into heaven. I said, did you go see the movie The Passion? And Johnny acknowledged, yes, I saw it. I said, do you remember when Jesus was getting whipped and how the blood was flowing from his back and then suddenly he fell to his knees because he was in such agonizing pain? I said, do you remember how slowly he got back up so they could finish the flogging of 40 stripes? Johnny said, yeah, I, I remember that. I said, well, when he got up, Johnny, he stood up in your place. 2,000 years ago, Jesus knew that without the shedding of innocent blood, the sins of mankind could not be forgiven. And that blood was predestined for such a time as this. It was for you right now. And the key to your salvation is literally on the tip of your tongue. It's a name, Johnny, that's above all names given among men. And then I asked Johnny if he would pray this prayer with me. And we prayed, Dear Jesus, I call on your name and I repent of my sins. I ask you to wash me in your blood, to set me free from the past, and take my hand and lead me into the future. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we pray. Amen. You know, Johnny wept as he prayed that prayer, but there was a brightness in his eyes that I'd never seen before. And he said, you know, Rick, I feel as light as a feather. He says, what's happening to me? And I said, Johnny, the burden of your sins have been removed. Jesus is now carrying the load. And God is looking at you through blood-stained lenses, and you, my friend, are as white as snow. Three months later, my cousin died, but I have no doubt that someday I will see him again. 
And we at Prophecy USA have been raised up to warn America and all the nations that God's prophetic time clock is shouting loud and clear, come back to me, America, because ready or not, I'm coming back for you. We're out of time. We hope that you would pray that prayer with us. This is Prophecy USA. My name is Rick Pearson, and I'm reminding you that Jesus Christ is alive and he's coming back much sooner than many people think. We'll see you next week. Shalom.